This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 22, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Now that the hearings for Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch are winding down, what was left on the table? How do you get at judicial philosophy without asking about cases? Ilya Shapiro, editor of the Cato Institute's Supreme Court Review, comments. It seems like this happens every time uh, senators are trying to come up with these ways to quiz a prospective justice on the Supreme Court by getting their opinions about issues that are definitely going to come to them at some point. And what is the point of that? Just trying to get them to, if they are confirmed, recuse themselves or something like that? Trying to score political points of any kind, because there are multiple audiences here. There's uh, the nominee asking the actual question directly. There's uh, the fellow party members, there's the opposition party members, and there's the general public, uh, activists and general uh, voters alike. Uh, And different messages go to different uh, of those audiences. So uh, some of these, uh, perhaps, uh, the Democrats came into this hearing uh, unsure of what exactly their strategy was going to be on Gorsuch. Uh, He has a voluminous record, uh, but... uh, generally uncontroversial. I mean, sure, he's a Republican appointee, uh, so there's not going to be radical communist things in his record. Uh, He's definitely of one uh, political stripe uh, rather than another. Uh, But uh, as we saw the hearings go on, there were maybe two of his cases, three of the 2,700 on which the Democratic senators kept asking him about, the frozen trucker, the cancer survivor. I mean, they they sort of become tropes or memes in, in, in social media. And so at the end of the day, they're grasping at anything that they think can score some hits on them that might derail what is otherwise going to be a confirmation because the Republicans have the majority. And it seemed like at any point uh, a Democratic senator uh, wanted to talk about something and Judge Gorsuch seemed enthusiastic about talking about it. They immediately wanted to move on to something else. Well, right. Uh, Gorsuch was uh, employing a a technique that GW law professor Oren Kerr has called fluidity, that is, demonstrating his great erudition in an area of the law by describing every little bit of uh, every important precedential case in a given body of law. It's an oral exam. Yes. And it it has the added benefit of running out the clock on that senator's question time. And that's why the senators cut him off, not necessarily because they're not getting the answer they want, but because, all right, you're smart. That's not why I'm asking you this. If I'm not going to get an answer, fine, I'll move on to something else. So how do you get at ideas about judicial philosophy without posing for instances? I've become convinced that these hearings simply aren't the way you do it, not as currently constructed, not with the current uh, uh, political uh, incentives that uh, that everyone faces. Uh, I've written, many people have written uh, proposed questions to get at judicial philosophy, not to ask hypotheticals that are going to come up, not gotcha questions, not everything about Roe v. Wade and guns and the, you know, page A1 uh, uh, controversies. Uh, but still, those types of things are asked about legal philosophy. Um, you know, he has a PhD. Uh, Neil Gorsuch does in legal philosophy from Oxford, uh, so he can talk about these deep things uh, that uh, you know he'd do a great Cato podcast for you, Caleb. I look forward to it. But um, he he's not going to display that. Nothing that can be glommed on and made a soundbite out of 
at the evening news or at the next uh, speech of, of one way or another. Nothing that'll rock the boat, given the essentially guaranteed confirmation. And so, even though my friends Josh Blackman and Randy Barnett, of, of, you know, of, uh, adjunct scholars of, of Cato, uh, wrote this excellent essay about uh, restoring the lost confirmation, about asking about clauses, not cases, that all is very good in theory, and those are the right types of questions to ask. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be answered in this moment. So uh, either they need to move to just uh, each party appointing a council to uh, ask questions entirely during the the process, uh, or have written submissions, or I I don't know what. At the end of the day, it's a political process. And if nobody's vote is going to be changed by this entire kabuki theater, then it's only worth doing if there's some sort of public education function. Granted, there is some of that that's been going on the last couple of days. For example, uh, what is originalism? Is it uh, taking us back to burning witches, as uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein suggested? Or as uh, Ben Sass and Ted Cruz suggested, uh, you can still apply, say, the power to regulate interstate commerce to airplane travel and the internet. Um, so, you know, those are valuable conversations to have uh, for the public, even if it uh, doesn't change things on the ground with the committee vote. So, what about questions of just uh, like general questions of what is, what do you understand as the privacy rights that the Constitution enshrines or the Bill of Rights enshrines? Is that, those questions have been asked. And uh, he describes at about a ninth grade level what is in the first, second, third. Gosh, it's great that we haven't had to litigate the Third Amendment. Quartering troops. Oh, my gosh. Funny colloquy with the senators. Um, that sort of thing. That's gone on. And privacy rights, so wh- he, hasn't gone on, he hasn't gone into about, well, Roe v. Wade did not interpret the privacy right correctly because X, Y, Z, no. Or even Griswold, the, the precedent about uh, before Roe on, on, on uh, use of contraceptives. Uh, but uh, he has talked about how, yes, the Constitution does comprehend privacy with the Fourth Amendment, the freedom from unreasonable search, and, and, and goes through all the ways in, the, in which the Constitution gets it. But he, but he hasn't even gotten into uh, whether it's the Privileges or Immunities Clause or Substantive Due Process that protects us against state intrusions on our privacy or any other unenumerated right. So what was left on the table, in your view, that questions that could have been substantive, that could have been asked, and that he would have felt felt obligated to answer, what questions could you have posed that he would have felt comfortable answering without violating the canon of ethics regarding judges uh, spouting off? Sure. Uh, McDonald versus City of Chicago, which extended the right to keep and bear arms to the states, which Cato was heavily involved in. Uh, was the plurality correct that that right is protected through the due process clause? Uh, or was Justice Thomas, in his important concurrence, uh, correct that the privileges or immunities clause is how you protect that right and other unenumerated rights? And what unenumerated rights might be guaranteed? Where do you look? And don't give me a list of the rights that you think might be, uh, uh, because that, those might come before you, but, but how do you, what, what are the textual bases? What are the original public meaning of the 14th Amendment? Th- those sorts of things. Um, uh, what you, you, you call yourself an originalist. What happens when originalism butts up against precedent? How strong a believer in stare decisis, the idea that you generally follow precedent, you don't overrule uh, because there are important reliance interests. And you know, Scalia didn't uh, was a strong believer in, in, in that and in precedent. Thomas, on the other hand, is ready to overturn no matter how old the case is uh, tomorrow uh, if it, he thinks it was wrong. And there's a lot of wiggle room there. 
Ilya Shapiro is editor of the Cato Institute Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.